Hi, this is Linda McGlasson with BankInfoSecurity.com, the leading provider of information security news and education specifically geared toward the banking and finance community. The following audio is an excerpt from our online workshop entitled Preparing for an Information Technology Regulatory Exam. Susan Orr, an ex-FDIC examiner, is responding to some questions asked by attendees at this workshop's previous sessions. You can register for a future session of this presentation at www.bankinfosecurity.com as well as purchase it on CD or via instant download. You'll also find a number of other educational webinars to enroll in on such topics as IT risk assessments, GLBA compliance, vendor management, and a host of other topics. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please let us know. Total running time is about 25 minutes. Enjoy! Okay, at this time I'd like to address a few questions that have come in. First one, typically what are some of the areas of an institution that are often overlooked when doing an enterprise-wide risk assessment? Uh, you know, it really varies across the board, but I would say most of the time it's pretty standard that institutions are not addressing some of the specialty areas like ACH and wire transfers, uh, bill pay if you offer that, trust, um, if you have trust, a trust department and trust accounts, those are also being overlooked. I also see physical security being overlooked. Many of you are doing a really good job at addressing uh, things that can happen via hackers and um, external access and your online banking, uh, but you're not really looking in terms of even insiders and what can happen as far as errors, uh, manipulation of the data, whether intentional or unintentional, things that can happen through social engineering, access to the information through social engineering. So in a nutshell, that those are some of the areas. The next question, where do you recommend security personnel go for the latest emerging threats and vulnerabilities? Are CERT alerts enough? Um, actually, CERT alerts are excellent. Uh, you can also go to sans.org. There are other things you can sign up for newsletters through Computer World, um, InfoWeek, uh, those types of subs uh, subscriptions, um, NIST, but primarily um, CERT and SANS are, are two of the, m the primary areas um, where you can, you can stay up to date. See, for Business Continuity Plan, we are we, we plan to use remote access with VPNs to have our staff be available for work. Do I need to show my procedures and testing of this to our examiner or are a set of planned procedures enough? Well, you do need to have the set of planned procedures. You need to think it through um, what you need, um, how you would do the process from end to end. So you want to have that all documented, and then you do need to test it. Um, you need to show that what you are planning on using 
is actually going to work. So as with any aspect of your business continuity plan and your disaster recovery plan, you do need to perform a test. You need that assurance that if you had to go to that particular process or procedure, that is actually going to work when you need it. Next question, you mentioned that the security logs should be kept secure. Where do examiners expect them to be kept? Is a locked file cabinet good enough? Uh, well, I don't think it's so much as where do the examiners expect them to be kept, but it's best practices and even regulation. Uh, where do they state? Where does that, excuse me, where does that state that these logs or how these logs should be maintained. And actually, they, they, it is recommended, almost required, that the logs be kept on what's called a worm device, um, a read once, or excuse me, a write once, read many, write once, read many. That's going to prevent it from being overwritten type of a device. And then if it's kept on a server, or if it's maintained logically, then obviously that server or that drive, wherever this information is being recorded and stored, needs to be segregated. There needs to be strong access controls, limited access to it, even possibly under dual control. Um, you also need to make sure that the information is encrypted. Now. If, if you're recording to, say, a, a CD or a tape, and then you're going to store it somewhere physically that's not on a server, then definitely, yes, a locked file cabinet, someplace that is secure, again, with strong access controls, restricted access to it, um, under dual control, and again, keeping it encrypted. So yeah, you could keep it in a locked file cabinet, but you need to make sure that there is limited access to that particular file cabinet and then that the, the, um, the disk, the CD, the tape itself actually has then strong access controls on it as well. Okay, because of the increased buzz around the pandemic bird flu, will I be held to produce our institution's BC plan, BCP plans as they related to our pandemic response. Uh, yes, uh, the, the agencies do expect you to be covering uh, the pandemic, uh, a pandemic situation, whether it's the, the bird flu or any other type of, of situation where, uh, as we've had in the past, where we've had um, uh, some issues with, with influenza uh, not related to bird flu that have gone around and that, that are passed from, from person to person and viral types of infections. So yes, they do expect you to have some type of plan in place and then um, be able to produce that plan when they come in and, and be able to talk it through. Uh, obviously, you need to make sure the plan is going to be realistic when you put it together. Okay, in security and controls, what are some of the policies and procedures that examiners look most closely at, and does it matter what size of institution you are or we are? Um, actually, it doesn't really matter what size you are. It's more 
in response to the operations. What do you offer? What are your functions? Um, what are your products and services? What, what are you doing? Not everyone, regardless of, of your operations or even your size, you have to have an information security program, and this has to be written. Um, you also need to have an acceptable use policy or something similar to that. That's kind of the new, the new phrase, the new title for a policy, and that typically is going to cover Internet use, um, the use of email, whether it's internal email, whether it's webmail accounts, the use of instant messaging, even the prohibitions on the use of these things. Uh, your, your LAN, the use of the network, the use of your LAN or your WAN, <coughs> even the use of portable devices like PDAs and cell phones, laptops, uh, iPods, MP3 players, uh, even cameras. So those are some of the kinds of things that are in that acceptable use policy. And you may have had all individual policies um, that covered these in the past which is fine as long as they're being covered, but you can also incorporate them all into the umbrella of an acceptable use policy. Uh, also spelling out in this policy your password requirements and configuration, and what's expected, uh, that you won't be attempting to uh, crack someone else's passwords, uh, access controls, these types of things uh, are sometimes included in that. Also a vendor management policy. This is going to cover your outsourcing relationships, your due diligence with vendor selection, contract negotiation requirements, and then your continued oversight. An imaging policy, if you're getting into uh, remote deposit uh, capture, merchant capture, check 21, um, if you're starting to image all your documents, your loan files, all of these things, you need to have all this covered in an imaging policy need to have a business continuity plan, a disaster recovery plan, an incident response plan, and then uh, for wire transfer, ATM, and ACH, you need to have at least written procedures. This can be in policy, in a policy, or it can be just actual written procedures of how you do wire transfer, what are the requirements, um, as well as a the ATM and ACH. Also, remote access policy. If you allow remote access, this needs to be uh, spelled out in a policy as well as having written procedures for the use of remote access. And voice over IP if, you, if you're offering voice over IP. So that's just kind of an, a quick uh, rundown of some of the, the main policies that you really should have in place. Now, additional policies, it's, it'll vary depending upon your operations. So that some things are going to be very specific to what you do. Uh, maybe an internet banking policy is a good idea as well. Uh, let's see. As a former bank examiner, you've seen your share of bad preps for examinations. What are five points of advice you would offer banks on sharpening their knowledge of the IT examination handbook? Um, Five points. Well, I don't. I don't know that <laughs> there's necessarily five points, but I think the thing you should really do if you want to um, get a good handle on those FFIEC handbooks and and help get prepared for your examination would be first off to review the Information Security Handbook. That would probably be the first place that I would start. I would at least go through, review that. There was a new edition of that that came out in July of this year, of 2006. 
that updated some of the information from 2002. So it's a very good document. Take a look at that. Take a look at the work program that's in the back of that. Next, I would suggest that you take a look at the operations handbook. This is going to just kind of reiterate some of the information in the Info Security Handbook as well as additional information specifically relating to operations. Uh, next, I would say then look at the, the e-banking handbook. Again, these just kind of piggyback off of each other and you're going to see reiterations of information, but there's also different information contained in each of these specific to the topic. Um, definitely take a look at the Business Continuity Handbook. This will help you while you're trying to prepare your business continuity plan or at least going back and, and looking at your current plan and seeing where you, you might need to make some improvements, um, possibly starting with that business impact analysis. So those are probably the, the main ones I would look at. Um, the Information Security Handbook, Operations, e-banking, and uh, the business continuity plan. The most definitely those are the ones that I would begin with. And then as you have time, you may want to look at some of the others. But I think those are probably the primary ones if, if you're looking at getting prepared for the next exam and just getting some good information with regard to policies and procedures and controls and, and things that you should be doing. Okay, if you were to narrow down the top five items, that banks should focus on in preparing for an IT exam, what would the number one concern be? What would be the other four, the other top four? Okay, so now we're thinking in terms of, of just some of the top concerns, and these are based on what I have seen um, in audits as well as my discussions with examiners, and I would say the number one thing is still the risk assessment you need to make sure you have that written enterprise-wide risk assessment and make sure that it's complete, that you have an inventory of your assets, you've identified internal and external threats and hazards, you've risk ranked, you have um, a listing or you've at least done a likelihood of occurrence and impact analysis, you've looked at your controls that you have in place to mitigate, and you've got recommendations if you need additional controls. And then I would say it probably goes next to policies, making sure that your policies are up to date and they're reflective of your operations. Um, as I said, going back to the question we had just a minute ago, the policies that you have and what you have in them is, is just institution specific. It's going to depend upon your operations, not necessarily your size, but your operations, the products and services that you offer. So I encourage you to go through those and make sure they're up to date, they're, they're reflective of, of your job titles, they're reflective of the positions that you have and of your actual operations. Uh, you don't know how many times I've seen policies that institutions have gotten from another source and while they generally reflect what, what the institution is doing or what they have, they still are not just, they're not specific for that institution making sure that you have a business continuity plan, um, that business continuity plan, making sure you've done a business impact analysis and a risk assessment, and then making sure that you test it. You have to test your business continuity plan and your disaster recovery operations 
to make sure that they're going to work and you need to have test results so I encourage you to have um, a test plan which I don't see very often uh, a thorough test plan where you write down the goals and the objectives of the test and the steps the procedures you're going to take and then you identify and you document the results from those tests and then any follow-up that may need to take place so in essence just being very very thorough when it comes to that business continuity plan and testing of that plan keeping documentation uh, I'm starting to see more incident response plans but again they're incomplete so you need to do a little bit of research try to um, get some input into what needs to be in that incident response plan have a vendor management program in place I just talked about that and making sure that you have an information security program and that encompasses the overall institution enterprise-wide again not just focusing on electronic data or on your IT systems but your overall organization in the protection of information and then making sure that you have written procedures you all have procedures that you follow but oftentimes I'm not seeing these written down they are not documented so it's always a good idea to have those documented procedures especially for business continuity and disaster recovery purposes and for training purposes uh, if you want to have cross rotation uh, excuse me cross training and have rotation and be able if if you did have a number of people who were out for the flu this winter um, not not just being the bird flu but for any type of, of illness if you have a large majority of your people out that you at least have the procedures written in place where people can back each other up and you've got um, rotation um, where you may have to have people fill in what issues or risk do you see with voice over IP and how should a policy to deal with voice over IP be crafted well first off associated with the risk and issues really the same risks that you have with data networks um, eavesdropping could be disruption of service interception of the transmissions impersonation uh, stolen service viruses and spam all of these um, exist and are a potential with voice over IP systems now as far as a policy what would be in the policy uh, would be the typical types of issues with regard to uh, due diligence and the selection of the provider uh, physical security the actual logical security over the system, uh, what types of security controls would be in place, maybe a, a voice over IP firewall, uh, these types of things. Um, you may even want to include a, a risk assessment on the vo voice over IP system and the environment. Uh, you also might want to take a look at the NIST document that has been issued on um, security controls and considerations for voice over IP and that is um, the, and if you go to the NIST the National Institute of Standards and Technology to their website it's special publication 800-58 security considerations for voice over IP systems 
And this will give you some more information with regard to setting up your voice over IP system, the security controls, and probably some help with, with what you should include in your policy. Now the next question, what is the recommendation on how long computer logs should be retained? That one really depends upon uh, regulations that you need to comply with. If you are a brokerage firm or a securities firm or offer those services, then obviously you need to comply with the NASD and the SEC rules. So you should take a look at those particular rules um, and, and verify. It's usually five to seven years with regard to maintenance of, of documentation and logs, but you'd probably want to uh, double check that. Under GLBA, there really isn't a specific time frame. For financial institutions, again, you might want to check your state banking laws to determine if there is a specific requirement on those computer logs. But in general, you wouldn't want to, if you've got the space and, and, the, and, the, and a place to maintain them, um, having a historical data is obviously better um, if you could go a year, but you want to go someplace probably within the six months to a year. You want to have them basically for forensic purposes. So the longer you can keep them, obviously, the better, but I know there becomes a, a storage issue. So outside of GLBA, you're going to want to check your state banking regulations to see if there's a specific requirement and then check other laws that you may have to comply with, like the NASD and the SEC. <clears throat> is there a need for a specific risk assessment for e-banking or is an enterprise risk assessment including e-banking sufficient? Um, well, e-banking would be included in your enterprise-wide risk assessment, so it, it, is a, it should be covered in that. However, um, keep in mind that for the authentication guidance, um, the compliance with that, you need to be performing a risk assessment to identify um, high-risk electronic transactions. So you would, be, again, need to take another look at what you are offering by internet banking or electronic banking to make sure that you are covering and I've identified all those high-risk transactions. Uh, but you should also be covering that in your enterprise-wide risk assessment, covering at least um, covering the e-banking system and the security and the controls in that as well. What should be included in the security awareness training program IT staff provides for employees? Uh, well, the Bank Info Security um, is offering and has offered a workshop on security awareness training, which is a very good place to start with getting some basic information on that training program. But just a quick answer. You'd want to make sure that you're including things like what is information security, um, how do you comply with the, the regulations and your, your institution or your company policies and procedures, covering what identity theft is, um, computer security, uh, covering the various risks and threats like spyware, viruses, malicious code and then making sure you are covering social engineering. Um, this is something that I'm finding that a lot of institutions are not familiar with, social engineering, which is basically the art of deception, and it's the, a human uh, portraying to be somebody that they're not and either physically coming into your organization and trying to gain access uh, 
to get information or via the telephone or via email types of inquiries. So that's just basically kind of a quick answer on some things that should be in that program. You can also consult the FFIEC Information Security Handbook. Um, and again, um, look into the security awareness training workshop that's been offered by Bank Info Security. You have just listened to an excerpt from BankInfoSecurity.com's online workshop entitled Preparing for an Information Technology Regulatory Exam. To enroll in a future session of this two-and-a-half-hour presentation, please visit www.bankinfosecurity.com.